Well, I'm going to ask Justin and Ashley to come on up here if they would. I get the honor of introducing them today. So uh, I not only am on the board of uh, Sparrow Missions, but I had the honor years ago of taking Andrew and Tyler, our two oldest, to um, Honduras, and Beth sent uh, them with me after a deployment to Afghanistan. What the whole decision was, go do this missions trip and kind of get it out of your system, plus an opportunity for my two oldest sons and I to reconnect. And over the years, Justin and Ashley have just been not only people serving God, but they've been great friends to Beth and I and our family. And uh, there have been times in our lives where Justin and Ashley knew things that we were going through that no one else did. Um, On one trip, we were the only people there, and God fixed it and ordained it that way so that they could pray over us and bless us. And we just thank God for the opportunity that they have to share today, share their heart about what God's been doing in Honduras, what God has next for you as a family. Um, We just continue to play blessings over you and your family and that God will just show you daily where to go. Justin, you're going to talk for a few minutes and then you're going to pray over Ashley. We just thank you for being here today and doing this. Thank you so much, Fred. It is an absolute honor to be here. And I'm going to share a little bit of an update this morning. I'm sorry, I've got a little bit of a chest cold, as you may be able to hear, um, of what's going on in Honduras and what's going on with our family. Um, We are at a really cool place in ministry in Honduras. We've, We've been in San Pedro Sula for the last 12 years. The community we serve, which you may have heard already, I'm going to repeat it, is a completely impoverished community. This community has struggled with corruption, crime, murder, and it's been almost completely gang-controlled as long as we've known it. Now, that creates a lot of challenges for the families that live there, okay? They don't have opportunities. They didn't have opportunities to go to school. They didn't have opportunities to move up in life because they were dubbed the dangerous place, They were a a dangerous place to be, a dangerous place to connect with. And people would know them around town. They would would know, these people are from there, stay away from them. They were almost like untouchables. God led us there 12 years ago. We got the honor to bring the gospel into that community. And and let me just say this, when the gospel goes in, that's where the change happens. Okay, it is this beautiful thing of using, God using very simple people, okay, to bring in his word and to see these changes slowly happen in, in, in children's lives, in the lives of the women that Ashley was leading each week in the Bible studies, and in the, in the youth, and the, even the gang members that are so present and are walking up and down consistently, up and down this, this impoverished community, we start to see lives changed. And so the dream of every mission is to see the locals rise up and lead as they become closer to God, as they, as they become discipled. This whole concept of disciple-making is to see the, the young people that have nothing, that come from nothing, that have, no, that have no Jesus, that have no gospel, slowly start to look more like Jesus as they come. And Gerald, as you shared, I'm glad you're back in it, as, as you shared uh, the, uh, the baptism stories, it reminded me about five or six years ago, I got to I'm going to get emotional, but about five or six years ago, I got the opportunity to baptize one of the young men from this community where we've been serving. It's called Rancho Bonito. And I got to baptize him, and he had just recently given his life to the Lord, and he is one of our top leaders now. He is pastoring a church now, Gerald, okay? There is no limits to what God can do in a person's life, okay? Amen. Let's give God glory. And so now we find ourselves in this beautiful situation because what you want 
in your mission, in your church, is a DNA of multiplication, okay? Of a DNA that is built in, that from the moment we start, we want to see more disciples made, more disciples made, more disciples made. And that is built into who you are as an organization like Living Waters. I mean, you've spoken of three different ministries already this morning and prayed for three different ministries. And, and so that's built into it. And so as that growth element and discipleship element is built in, you start to see these leaders rise up. And, and so about a, not a full, maybe about a year ago now, Ash and I were, were praying. We, we thought, you know, we've, we've been on the mission field now for this many years, and we know this is where God wants us to be. You know, maybe we should buy a house in, in Honduras. We've been renting for 11 years, you know. And so we start looking around at a house. We find houses that we like, and it just kept falling through, falling through. And let me just say this. When there are deviations in your plan, don't play the victim card like, Mr., like Philip said, okay? You don't get to play it. What we get to do is we get to step back and say, okay, God, what are you doing? What are you doing? Now, that's hard to do. We want to put our heads down. We want to, we want to blame ourselves. We want to say, what, what, what's going wrong? What, what went wrong? But that's not it. God is moving. So we took a step back and said, okay, God, wait. You know, this was, this was our plan. Do you have something else? And we had this beautiful conversation that God was leading in. I was going to a, a retreat in Montana. In fact, Fred was there. We got to go through this together. And during that trip, God really spoke. In fact, it was a, a, another pastor sent me a message as, as he was speaking to us. And Ashley wrote, what's next for us? And I received a text message on my phone. I'm standing under these, these mountains, beautiful morning, reading the word. I had just been laying down, God, whatever your plan is, we'll do it. And I get a text message on my phone from a pastor I hadn't spoken with in a year, a year and a half. And I look at the text. It says, are you okay? I said, yeah, I'm okay. I'm in Montana, and we're texting back and forth a little bit. And he said, I had a dream about you last night. And I said, well, was it about getting mauled by a bear or run over by an elk? Because that's like a real threat here in Montana. And he wrote back, no elks, no bears. Just an affirmation of your pioneering spirit. Don't lay that down. And we knew, I texted Ashley, and we knew right then that God was going to call us out of Honduras and into a next step. And as we continued to pray, and God, I, I called Ashley and from, from Montana, you know, I'm, I'm torn up. I'm like, what's God doing? He's going to move us. And she goes, okay, we'll go wherever he wants. Like, just that easy. You know, how awesome is that? Um, and so we've, as we've been praying, we've, we feel like God is leading us to move to Thailand, which is in Southeast Asia. Most people say Thailand. Uh, do you mean Taiwan? That's where Sean is, right? And yes, Sean is in Taiwan doing awesome work. We're going to be in Southeast Asia as well in a country called Thailand, which is Vietnam, Cambodia, Laos, and then Thailand is right there in Southeast Asia. And I'll just tell you a little bit about this. Thailand is less than 1% Christian, okay? Missionaries have been there for 150 years, and it's less than 1% Christian. 88% of the people in Thailand have never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ, okay? Unthinkable numbers. And so God laid this on our hearts and has been preparing things through deviations of our own plans, of us thinking this was going to happen. He goes, wait, I've got something better. And he's continued to do that this whole way. So we're in the U.S. for the next, um, until mid-June. We've been here for a month already, and we're going to be here till mid-June just preparing for our move to Thailand. Our kids are super excited when you have an eight-year-old twins and an 18-month-old, they get to have their fingerprints on this as well. They're not just along for the ride because they're called to be missionaries just like we are. 
It is a family mission. And so we are going to be living in a city called Chiang Rai, Thailand. It's in the north of Thailand near Myanmar and Laos. And it's just packed full of these small pockets of people that have no representation of the gospel. There's no church. They don't have the Bible. And we get to go be part of that. I'd love to give you more details, and I'll let you know as they come. We just don't have more right now. That's how God is working in this situation. So we're going to go there and pray that God leads us. We're, we're doing this as an expansion of Sparrow Missions. We're not, going, we're not leaving our organization. And in fact, we have the dream of, in the future, some of our young leaders, like the young man that I got to baptize five years ago, and some of them coming and joining us on the mission field from Honduras, from the poorest of the poor in Honduras, to join us in Thailand in the next year or so to be part of, of bringing the gospel to a place that just doesn't have it. 88% never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. What a beautiful thing that we get to take that to them. It's so humbling, and it's such an honor. And so please pray for that. You know, the Lord, in, in Luke ten two, he says, pray, send out workers into the harvest field, right? The harvest is plentiful, the workers are few. Would you pray for us? Pray that God just equips us, prepares us. He's doing it now, not always in the easiest ways, but he's doing it, and we're thankful for it. We are blessed, as you said, Philip, that beautiful song. We are blessed, and I just want to thank you. I'm going to pray for my wife as she shares a little bit of the word this morning as I've taken some of her time up. Sorry, baby. Um, But let's pray together. Let's bow together. Lord, I pray right now this morning that your word would move in our hearts, that you would give Ashley the words to say, let your Holy Spirit speak through her, And I thank you for her life. I thank you for her servant heart and her love of your word, Lord God, that that would just come through clearly today, that she would enjoy just sharing your word with us, Lord God. Uh, Speak to us today. Lord, if there are lies in our lives that we're believing, let that be confronted by your word. If If there's darkness in our lives, Lord, let that be confronted by your word today. And if there's places in our lives that we're not following you, Lord God, I pray that your word would lead us back to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much. All right. Well, thank you all for the opportunity to be here this morning. I'm quite humbled um, and just really overjoyed to be able to share with you. Normally, Justin does most of the talking in our family, so I appreciate that you guys give me this opportunity and this chance. As I was thinking through what to talk about, of course, we can talk about what's going on in Thailand and Honduras and missions discipleship, multiplication, all these wonderful things, um, the Lord kind of was stirring in my heart in a different way. We know that the word says his word is living and active, right? It is living and active. And this year, well, let me back up. Last year was the very first year in all my years, I confess, that I successfully completed a read through the Bible in a year. And it was amazing. Um, Of course, I had read Old Testament, read New Testament, but this was a chronological, I'm actually using Bible recap, I'll throw it out there in case any of you are looking for a great resource, but it takes you through the Bible, and then it has a a five-minute podcast at the end of each one that recaps what you're learning. So I learned a tremendous amount about God's Word last year, and it's really interesting because last year as I was working my way through the Old Testament, he was highlighting a lot of different things. You know, God uses Moses, someone who's you know, not necessarily equipped or extra skilled, but God uses them anyways, or all of these different things God pointed out. But this year, as I was going through 
in our certain circumstances that we're walking through right now, as I said, God's word is living and active. And so he's spoken to me in some fresh new ways. And so this morning, if it's all right with you, although I don't really have your permission, we're going with it anyways. Um, I just simply want to share with you what God's been teaching me. What I've been learning as I've been working through the Old Testament, Justin's going through the plan with me this year, so now we can talk about it. And it's just really beautiful, the narrative of the scripture. And so we're going to jump in. We're going to take a trip back. If you have Bibles or devices or whatever, I'm going to be reading through some scripture, and then we'll also have it up on the screen. So let's follow along. But as I said, I just want to talk to you guys about what God's teaching me. And I hope that it's an encouragement. I hope that it's a challenge. I hope that we leave today all looking a little bit more like Jesus and knowing a little bit about, more about how awesome our God is. And so we're going to start in Exodus 13. So I'm going to read 17 and 18. And I'll read it out loud. Like I said, I think it's on the board. I don't know. But it's okay. Here we go. So in Exodus 13, 17 and 18, when Pharaoh finally let the people go, God did not lead them along the main road that runs through Philistine territory, even though that was the shortest route to the promised land. God said, if the people are faced with a battle, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. So God led them in a roundabout way through the wilderness toward the Red Sea. Thus, the Israelites left Egypt like an army ready for battle. I want to stop right there in just those two verses. The kindness of God is stunning in those scriptures. It was the mercy of God that led them the long way. I just think that's so interesting. We should never begrudge the long way, right? God could have sent a quick, easy path, a direct route, but that would have led to their destruction. And God is merciful and kind to us. He led them the long way. And Justin kind of alluded to, we've had a lot of situations in our life, especially in the past year or two, where we feel like God's really leading us the long way, where why is this taking so long? It'd be a lot easier if we just had the answer right now, but he's leading us the long way. And we can trust that he is sovereign. He is over all of these things and that he's so kind and merciful to us. It is his mercy that led them the long way. So I just wanted to point that out. If we continue in verses 20, 22, we see... Um, the Israelites, they've left Egypt, but they have not yet crossed the, the Red Sea. And so here's where we're at in verse 20. We'll pick up. The Israelites left Succoth and camped at Etham on the edge of the wilderness. The Lord went ahead of them. He guided them during the day with a pillar of cloud. He provided light at night with a pillar of fire. This allowed them to travel by day or by night. And the Lord did not remove the pillar of cloud or pillar of fire from its place in front of the people. So we see now very early on, before they even crossed the the sea, they just had left, God had delivered them from the Egyptians, and he's leading them. He's going before them. He has set up a structure where they can tangibly follow him. We see a deeper description of the pillar and the fire of cloud and fire in Numbers. So I'm going to jump Numbers 9, 15 through 23. Let me just read through this to give a really good grasp of kind of the, the, their system for how they were following God in this time. On the day the tabernacle was set up, the cloud covered it. But from evening until morning, the cloud over the tabernacle looked like a pillar of fire. This was the regular pattern. At night, the cloud had covered the tabernacle, had a the appearance of fire. 
Whenever the cloud lifted from over the sacred tent, the people of Israel would break camp and follow it. And wherever the cloud settled, the people of Israel would set up camp. In this way, they traveled and camped, and the Lord commanded them wherever he told them to go. Then they remained in their camp as long as the cloud stayed over the tabernacle. If the cloud remained over the tabernacle for a long time, the Israelites stayed and performed all their duties to the Lord. Sometimes the cloud would only stay over the tabernacle for a few days, so the people would just stay for a few days as the Lord commanded. Then as the Lord commanded, they would break camp and move on. Sometimes the cloud would stay overnight and lifted the next morning. By day or night, when the cloud lifted, the people broke camp and moved on. Whether the cloud stayed over the tabernacle for two days, a month, a year, the people stayed in the camp and did not move. But as soon as it lifted, they broke camp and moved on. So they camped or traveled at the Lord's command and did whatever the Lord told Moses. Have you all ever heard, this is just kind of a side note, but the, the Israelites were lost in the wilderness or they wandered in the wilderness and they were lost in the wilderness. We see such a clear picture right here. They never wandered. They followed God. They weren't lost. They were just waiting on God. What's next? And you see this, this um, system they got into where, okay, the cloud's moving. We're going to follow the cloud. The pillar of fire's moving. We're going to follow that. And that is how the Lord led them in the wilderness. Now, yes, they had detours, and yes, it was delayed and all of that, but they were never lost because God was so faithful to provide for them. His provision was kind. As I said, he was leading them the long way, but it was for his mercy. And he led them day and night, going ahead of them. I want to paint this picture because... This is what the Israelites knew of God. That's how they experienced him, that he was providing from the very beginning. If we think about those two particular provisions, um, I'm thinking of Honduras specifically where it is brutally hot, but what is better in a hot, hot Honduras day than a cloud to cover that sun for a little bit? You literally, if you go stand under the shade of a tree, it's probably 10 degrees cooler than what it is in the direct sun. And so I'm thinking even those two non-human types of provision are the best thing you could have as you're traveling through the wilderness. Protect from the blistering heat in the day. And then at night in the desert, they didn't have electricity. They needed light. They needed warmth. It could have scared away the coyotes and any other danger that may have lurked in the night. So as far as... Travel companions in the desert, non-human ones, those are the best two that the Lord could have come up with. His provision is so good to us. Before we move on, I want to, this illustration came to mind. It might kind of set the stage for, for what we're about to move into as the Israelites journey on. And I think about it, it was almost two years ago to the day that we first traveled to the United States as a family. Aaron and Gracie, for the first time, got to come with us to the U.S. Abby was still in my tummy at that point, uh, but we're so excited. We'd been praying for this. Yes, COVID and all that was happening as well, but we were excited for our family for this next step because it had been like six years of praying and God doing miracles that we could get their citizenship. And so we get on the plane, and of course we've been very excited, but all of a sudden we get on the plane and our little buddy Aaron gets very nervous he starts to realize, why, why is the plane shaking? 
What are those noises? It sounds like it's grumbling. Mom, what's wrong? Something's wrong. This plane is, there's something wrong. And he gets into this very anxious state. Will we take off? Of course, that was a little traumatic. I, li- I see him. He's gripping my hand in one hand. He's holding on to the seat in the other and hiding his eyes because he is so scared of this new turbulence and um, sounds and things that he was not familiar with. We get a little farther. I'm thinking, relax, buddy. It's fine. Look, we're all fine. I look over. It was Aaron, Gracie, me across the aisle, Justin. Justin's got his noise-canceling headphones. He's already in a mid-doze by then. He is just cool as a cucumber, right? He's the type of traveler. As soon as the, the wheels go up, he's asleep or just enjoying, you know, praise music or something on his, on his iPhone or um, ear pods, whatever. But my point is this, I look over and I see this tense, scared, anxious little boy that's just gripping for control. And then I look over at my husband who is like, not a care in the world, wake me up when we get there, right? And it's really interesting as I looked at those two different responses, because the reality is, I mean, if you were really to break it down, I don't want to look too much into it, but... Justin had complete trust in the pilot. He's going to get us there. This is his job. I've done this before. It's fine. He had the freedom to rest, to release control and just rest in that moment and enjoy his flight. Aaron, on the other hand, he didn't trust the pilot. He started thinking, I need to fix this. What's going on? Something's not right. And he starts getting into a tailspin of anxiety. And so what we see here is two very different responses to a shared reality. We all were experiencing the same thing, but they reacted in such different ways. One way of the react, to react was in fear. The other way to react was in faith. He was secure. He had the freedom. He had peace, right? And I know that's kind of a silly example, but I want you to have that in your mind because we're about to go and see how the Israelites relate when a little bit of turbulence starts to set in, okay? We all have turbulence in our life. Jesus even says, right, in this world you will have trouble. So let's continue journeying along with our Israelites here. But I wanted to lay that foundation of the two different ways we can respond, All right, so back to the Israelites. They're about a month in after leaving Egypt, and already they run out of food, okay? They can only take so much. They needed food daily, so they run out. So a need was exposed, all right? Often an exposure to a need will drive us into one of those two camps. We can respond in fear. I don't have. We lack. What are we going to do? Oh, my goodness, Or we can respond in trust. There is a sovereign God who I trust will take care of us. So let's trust him. Okay, so trust or faith and then fear. So let's see how the Israelites responded. So we're going to jump to Exodus 16, just a few chapters later, and I'll read verse 1 through 3. It says this, Then the whole community of Israel set out from Elam and journeyed into the wilderness between Elam and Mount Sinai. They arrived there on the 15th day of the second month, one month after leaving the land of Egypt. There, too, the whole community of Israel complained about Moses and Aaron. If the Lord had just killed us back in Egypt, they moaned. There we sat around pots filled with meat and ate bread. that We had all we wanted. Now they've brought us into the wilderness to starve to death. 
I think that's a pretty ungrateful response in a time of testing, right? They went straight to, well, now we're going to die. And they went right to the extreme, right? Very dramatic. But we can't blame them because sometimes when we have need, when a need is exposed, whether it's a financial need, maybe a relational need, maybe it's, I need a job, maybe it's, I need a spouse, maybe it's anything from little everyday needs to big needs, right? This was just a basic need, food. They needed food, yes. But how do we respond, right? Do we have an entitled, well, I deserve this. Well, why don't I have it? Because I deserve it. Or do we have gratitude and trust that God will provide? So as we see, they're already complaining. So the Israelites had a very ungrateful response in a time of testing. And remember the context. They have been miraculously saved out of Israel. God has gone before them, led them, showed them exactly where to go by following either the cloud or the fire. And so you would think they would be like, oh, no, if he's covered all that, he'll keep covering us. But they didn't. They um, definitely let fear drive So they did not respond in faith. They responded in fear. It wasn't trust. They were gripping for control, and they didn't have gratitude. They were just complaining to God. But how does God respond? I think that's what's most important in this, because we need to look and see the character of God when we're reading through Scripture. Have you all ever seen a tantrum in public, right? Maybe you have friends with young kids. I hope we're not those friends because this has definitely happened in our family. But you've been at a playground and and you say it's time to go and the kid doesn't want to go. Okay, I got one of those. Abigail loves the slide and it is a tough time when it's time to leave the park. Or like in the checkout line and the kid wants the candy and mom says no and you're kind of like, oh my, what is about to go down? Because the kid's freaking out. What's the mom going to do? How's she going to handle it? And sometimes it's like, man, that kid just needs a whooping, right? So as the Israelites are throwing this tantrum, we almost kind of brace ourselves like, oh, goodness, God, what is he going to do? But rather than wrath, God responds once again in kindness, in mercy. In verse 4 through 7, again in chapter 16, this is what God does in response to their complaining and their need for food. Then the Lord said to Moses, look, I'm going to rain down food from heaven for you. Each day, the people can go out and pick up as much food as they need for that day. I will test them in this to see whether or not they will follow my instructions. On the sixth day, they will gather food, and then they'll prepare it. There will be twice as much as as usual. So Moses and Aaron said to all the people of Israel, By evening, you will realize that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And in the morning, you will see the glory of the Lord because he has heard your complaints. So the text goes on to lay out a lot more of the specifics. You only pick up what you need because if you pick up extra, it will rot. Or, um, you know, don't pick up and store for the week just what you need. And so God gave them a lot of more details outlining how this was going to work. But he provided for them every day. He wanted them to go out every day and experience his provision. Now, as I think through this, God's teaching them a new way of understanding his provision. Think of the context, okay? This was an agrarian society, farmers that, and probably you all know a lot better than I do about farming and all those things, but this would be antithetical to their understanding of provision. 
Because if you're a farmer, when you've worked so hard for the harvest, what do you do? You bring it all in, right? Why? Because crops don't grow overnight. You've got to bring it all in so that you have enough stored away. You want to store as much as you can for the days or the seasons that maybe there's drought and that you don't have. So you can go pull on that storage, right, that you've already tucked away. So this is completely contradictory to what their understanding of what provision would have been. God is saying, don't store, don't gather, don't um, hoard. Instead, just take what you need and trust that I'm going to do it again tomorrow. He's teaching them their faithfulness. He is making them rely daily, which I think is so interesting because, as I said, this is a whole new way of provision for them. He wanted to deepen their dependence on his sovereignty, even if they didn't understand. It might not have made sense to them, but it was for their good and for their flourishing. This is the way that God was going to provide. So for 40 years, God provided every day exactly what his children needed. He gave them what they needed to flourish and his provision satisfied. They had exactly what they needed. So the struggle of trusting a sovereign God is the struggle between fear and faith, right? A basic need was exposed. They were hungry. They needed food. Were they going to respond in fear or were they going to respond in faith? And we see our loving God say, I'm going to provide for you every day, but I'm not going to give you next week's. You need to wake up again and let's do it again tomorrow because he was teaching them how to depend on him every single day. I think that's really hard to do. In our culture, in the U.S. specifically, where we have stockpiles, we have the storehouses, right? But going back to this dependence every day on God is how they were walking near to God and how he would continue to lead them and provide for them. Charles Spurgeon says, when we can't see his hands, we trust his heart. I like that. We might not see him at work. We might not see what our next step is. Justin and I certainly don't know what our lives are going to look like even six months from now. But we're going to trust in the God whose heart doesn't change. His purpose, his promises, his provisions don't change. We can trust in that. Even when we can't see what's going on. Back to Charles Spurgeon because he actually summarized this whole idea of manna in a really beautiful way. So I just want to read what he wrote about it. He says this. Excuse me, I'm also struggling with that head cold. All right. God desired then to teach him himself by the gift of manna. He taught them first his care over them, that he was their God and that they were his people and that he would lay himself out to provide for them. Think of the care that God had over them over each one of them. For each man had his own omer or portion of manna. No woman, no child was forgotten. Every morning there was sufficient quantity for every man according to his need for that day. There was no more and there was never any less. So carefully did God watch over each individual. The individuality of the divine love is a great part of the sweetness of it. God thinks of each separate child of his as much as if it were if he was the only one. The multiplicity of his elect does not divide the loaf of his affection. He has an infinite affection for each one, and he will take care of the details of each chosen life. He will see your portion filled 
precisely to the ounce. He will give you all that you possibly need. He will give you nothing that you can lay minister to your pride. And this care was shown every day. It's really beautiful how he summarized that. So with manna, they had to trust God for it, and they experienced God's love and provision through it. So now they have all the food they want, right? Easy peasy. Life must have been great. Wrong. (laughs) We just go to chapter 17, and now they run out of water, all right? So same. It's a very basic need, but it exposed their hearts. Once again, they find themselves in need. What are they going to do about it? Are they going to respond in fear? Are they going to respond in faith? This happened again in Numbers 20 with even the second generation. These are recurring things that happen where the Lord was testing them. But did God know that they needed water? Did God know that they needed food in the wilderness? Of course he did. He created us, right? He knows we need water. He knows we need food. But what was happening is the trial reveals the heart, as I said. So God is asking, will you follow me when my way is different than yours? Will you follow me when you don't know what tomorrow might look like? In in one of my favorite verses in the New Testament, Paul instructs us, rather than worry or complain or rather than get upset or anxious about anything, Instead, pray about everything, right? We're all familiar with this verse. My favorite, the translation is NIV because it's so simple. Paul breaks it down and basically says, tell God what you need and thank him for what he does. Thank him for what he's done. That's the recipe for peace, right? We don't have to be worried. We need to ask God for what we need, thank him for what he's done. Unfortunately, the Israelites had not gotten that memo because they went straight to complaining again. But for us, That's a a blueprint on how we need to operate when needs are exposed in our life. Again, whatever that may be for you. Are you going to respond in fear and faith? And we can simply ask God for what we need, thank him for what he's done. But ultimately, the people, the Israelites chose to complain. And I believe God had every intention on supplying water. Why would he send them on a journey knowing they need water and then not provide that for them? Of course God knew he needed it. And I think he had every intention of providing it. And he would give it to them in abundance when they asked. But if he would have sent them with that abundance in the beginning, if they never ran out of water, do you think they would depend on God? Probably not. Well, we got all the water. We got all the food we need. We're set. We're good. In fact, this is pretty comfortable. We'll just camp out here for a little longer. No, God created a situation where they had to depend on him. Now, the minute they asked like a good father, hey, we're thirsty. Oh, sure, let me give you some water, right? God was willing and quick to provide that need when we go to him, right? Now, that's not, unfortunately, what the Israelites did, but let's learn from their example and learn how we can respond in maybe a different way when needs are exposed in our life or things that are uncomfortable or trials or problems or testing, all of these things that come up. Um, so we're not going to go into the text just because there's a lot, but I'll, I'll tell you what happened. So they, they did respond poorly, but as I said, our God is a good father. And how does he respond? He strikes the rock instead of his children, right? 
Remember that story? God's, the, Moses strikes the rock. The water comes out. They have all they need. They're refreshed. Once again, they're provided for. His provision satisfied them. As you read through the Old Testament, or I'll change that, as I read through the Old Testament, I think the impulse or the desire, so often we're like, oh, if I just had the cloud, we wish we had, like how easy for them, they could tangibly follow it. If I just had that pillar of fire, or when my needs, when I needed something, it would just rain down from heaven, how great would that be? I think that's a temptation, right? Like, what job should I take? Oh, there's the cloud. Let's go this way, right? Or who should I marry? Oh, there's a fire over that one. I'm going to go this way, right? Where it it would be laid out so easy. But I want to argue with you this morning. I want to share that we have something so much better, right? I think the temptation is think, well, wouldn't that be great? And what a bunch of goofs are they for not like recognizing that God provided for them so beautifully. Why did they have such trouble with trust and rebellion? But I want to argue this morning that we have something so much better. We have the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit that does its work in illuminating, helping us to understand the nature of who God is, revealing his word to us, and leading us step by step wherever he is taking us. We have that spirit inside of us if we are in Christ. And that is such an awesome thing. That is good news this morning. And as I said, we may wish that God would just rain down from heaven or send us our needs or all of these things so we don't have to go in want, but that level of want or dependence is what keeps us dependent on God because he is of source. When we have Jesus, we have his spirit, which is our guide, our counselor, and then we have everything we need in Jesus. So we are actually better off right here, right now in 2022 because we have God's spirit inside of us. We have access to his Holy Spirit. And so in the Old Testament, it reflects on this. I'll just read a little bit of scripture and then we'll move on. But we see through this whole manna process, God wasn't just filling their stomachs, right? He was shepherding their hearts. Said, yes, you were humbled by letting you go hungry and then feeding you with manna, a food previously unknown to your ancestors. He did this to teach you that people do not live on bread alone, rather that live, I'm sorry, by every word that comes out of the mouth of the Lord. In 1 Corinthians, so a New Testament reference, they're also talking back on this account. I don't want you to forget, dear brothers and sisters, about our ancestors in the wilderness long ago. All of them were guided by the cloud that moves ahead of them, and all of them walked through the sea on dry land. In the cloud and in the sea, all of them were baptized as followers of Moses. All of them ate the same spiritual food and all of them drank the same spiritual water. For they drank from the spiritual rock that traveled with them and that rock was Christ. Guys, God wants intimacy with you. He wants you to depend on him. He wants you to know him. Know him in a way that you trust him so much. Like if you think back to that silly example on the plane, that you don't have to spend your life tense, gripped. What am I going to do? How am I going to figure this out? Oh my goodness, we're going down. You can have freedom to rest knowing God is sovereign. God is awesome. And even though I can't see what's going to happen, I might not know the answer right now. I know God's going to come through. And he might not show me what's going to happen next week. But guess what? We have this daily Trust, daily dependence, where he just gives us our next step, right? 
And before long, we look back and we think, oh my goodness, God's brought me this far? Look where I am. And it's not one overwhelming leap or one huge decision. It's daily dependence. It's hard to trust someone you don't know, though. And so this morning, what the Lord has put on my heart is that we need to press in and gain intimacy with God because intimacy with God is what lays the foundation for all of this. Have y'all ever been to the beach? I love the beach. Right before we left Honduras, we went to one of our favorite places on earth, Roatan, Honduras, which is an island right off. It's the most gorgeous beach you've ever seen. And... Um, there it is. Y'all can see a little glimpse. And of course, it's one of those pictures don't do it justice, right? The Bates went with us. We got to take the Car- Carol and Daryl with us, the Tracys with us. And we just love that place so much. But here was my um, thought. As you lay on this beach looking out, I mean, it is absolutely stunning. It is gorgeous. You're just soaking in the different colors. It's like, did God create new colors when he made this water? Because I've never seen a blue this blue. I mean, it is just so amazing. And then we went out on a boat, right? So it's like, wow, you're getting off the beach where it's nice and comfortable, but we're getting off, we're getting a little adventure and we start to see, wow, we can see the coast from here. Oh, look down guys. You can see fish. That's how clear the water is. You can see fish. You can see a couple of shots from the boat, right? And that was awesome until you go snorkeling. (laughs) And snorkeling is like you take a peek into a whole new world, right? You start to look down and see things and colors and animals that are like, what? God is so creative. I didn't even know anything like that existed, And then a couple years ago, which was the only time in my life, Justin and I actually had the opportunity to go scuba diving. So we went down deep. And I was really nervous at first. I was pretty scared, actually. I didn't know about all that, like, blowing your ears and relieving pressure. I was very nervous about that. But we got into the water. It was the coolest thing we've ever seen. It was unforgettable experience. We saw sea turtles. Rather than just looking from up top, we're like face to face. I look by and Justin's swimming with a school of fish and I'm like, this is just unreal. It truly is a whole new world under the water. Now, if you are sitting on the beach, comfy, soaking up your sun, you see the beauty, but you have no idea all that's going on underneath the water, right? When you go on the boat, you kind of have an idea, like, there's stuff going on down there, but you're still pretty comfortable. You're not really in it. But when you get in the water and you're snorkel or scuba, in in my example, you're in it and you're seeing, and it is truly life-changing at the amount of beauty and awesomeness that's all taking place, right? There is life. There is all this going on at all times under the water. But on the beach, you don't see any of it. Yeah, it's beautiful, but you don't see any of it. And I want to relate that to our experience with God. Think of your own relationship with God. Where are you? Because some of us, we come to church and we hear a lot. We know a lot about God. But we're not experienced the life changing, the, the life all around us. That depth of intimacy. We might just feel more comfortable on the boat or on the beach, right? 
in some of the depths, the beauty of God and where God wants to take you are only experienced when you go deep in that intimacy with God. It's like hidden treasures, the priceless treasures you've got to work for, you've got to go deep. And this is God's desire for us all throughout scripture. I'll read a few. They're not on the board. I'll just read them quickly. But in Jeremiah, God says, if you seek me, you will find me when you seek me with all your heart. James 4, 8, draw near to me and I will draw near to you. That's a promise God gives us. Jeremiah, again, call on me and I will answer you. And I will tell you great and unimaginable secrets that you do not know. The Bible is full of references of God wanting to be near us. I mean, that's the whole point in the, for building the tabernacle, right? Because God wanted to come dwell among his people. Going back to Exodus in 33, it describes how Moses, you know, the people all complained, but Moses continued to follow God. Now, he wasn't perfect, obviously, but he had that closeness. It says he spoke as if a man was speaking to his friend. The Lord spoke to Moses face to face. Isn't that incredible? And in, in verse 7 in chapter 33, it starts with, it was Moses' practice when it talked about him going to talk to God. It was a routine. It was frequent. It wasn't once in a while or only when I needed something or, oh, goodness, I'm in trouble. Let me run to God. It was a routine. It was a habit that he had instilled to keep that closeness with God, which allowed him to trust God and depend on him for all the other things. You know, we can know a lot about God, but not, but miss, miss the rest of it. Mike Cosper, I like this quote, or this illustration. He says this, the scientist who knows everything about the strawberry but has never tasted one is at a distinct disadvantage to the two-year-old who knows nothing of science but has actually had one. Isn't that good? And how much more would the one who understands the science and enjoy it, have tasted and seen that he is good, really experience some satisfying, um, and be satisfied. And so my challenge for all of us, myself included this morning, if we want to get on that daily dependence where we know that the manna is going to come every morning, depending on God, trusting his spirit to lead us and guide us, then we have to know God, right? We have to be close to him. I mean, and this is obvious even on, you know, even here on earth. If you have, who's a, I don't know, Coach Cal, maybe for my husband, it would be Michael Jordan. He could know every stat. He could know every championship. He could know his dog's name. You know, some people that know all the stats about everything. But if my husband went to Michael Jordan's house and rang the doorbell, Michael is going to say, what are you doing here? <laughs> hey, can I come in? I know all about you. Let's hang out. No, man, you're a stranger. Go away, right? He would never let him in. Security would keep him way farther away. And yet some of us know so much about God, but we don't know him, the relationship aspect of it. And so to get to these deep levels of trust, it starts with our intimacy level with God. So I'm going to close with this. We're going to jump to John chapter 6. It's after the feeding of the 5,000. And worship band, if you all want to come, go ahead and come on up. That would be great. But it's after the feeding of the 5,000. 
Jesus himself refers to the manna, and he summarizes it this way. John 6, our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, truly, truly, I tell you, it was not Moses who gave you bread from heaven, but my father gives you true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is for who comes down from heaven and gives life to the word. They said to him, sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, this is one of his famous I statements. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger and whoever believes in me shall shall never thirst. Jesus is the bread of life. We don't need the pillar of cloud or fire because we have God's spirit inside of us. We don't need bread to come down from heaven because we have Christ that satisfies our souls. Will you trust him for tomorrow? Will you trust him when his way looks a lot different than yours? That's where Justin and I are at right now. There's been, and I could go into a lot of detail, I won't, but there's been a lot of things that we thought, well, this is for sure, and then that gets taken away, and now we're back to, okay, God, where are you leading us? Where are we going? And we're learning to follow God, and we're learning this daily dependence. And so what God was doing then and what he continues to do now is he's testing to see if our hearts are inclined to follow him. The whole story was foreshadowing that in Christ, God provides salvation for his children fully, freely, finally, and forever in Christ. For those who trust in Christ, his grace is fresh for us every morning. But it's not always easy. There are troubles, right? Jesus says that following him means dying and denying. It's not just easy. But so many Christians are frustrated or disappointed or bored because they want God's gifts. They want his manna. They want the food, but they don't want to actually walk with him and be with him and be intimate with him. And that's where it all starts. And that's where I'll go back to when we start there, it is the most satisfying, enriching, not easy, but wonderful journey that God will take you on as he leads us to the promised land. Let's pray this morning. Father, we thank you for your word. God, you are a good God. And we see the whole narrative of scripture that you are a merciful, loving God that takes care of his children. We thank you that we have the opportunity to be your children by what Jesus did for us. Thank you, Father. We thank you that you give us your spirit to guide us and to lead us. And I pray, Father, that if there's anyone in this room that does not know, has not tasted and seen of your goodness, Lord, that today would be the day of salvation. Father, thank you for being our provision, even when it doesn't make sense. If it goes against what we know when we don't understand, we want to depend on you. We want to trust you every single day, Lord. And keep coming to you day after day, knowing that you are sovereign, you are faithful, and you are good to take care of your children. We trust you and we love you. I pray that we would not be quick to forget your word, but we'd continue to marinate on this throughout the week. That we would be sensitive to your spirit as it guides us. Just as you guided the Israelites, that you would guide us in each and every decision that we have before us this week. I pray over each family and person that's represented here, Lord. I pray blessings upon them. I pray that you would reveal yourself to us in new, fresh ways this week. 
We love you. I thank you for this opportunity. I thank you for who you are. And we give you glory and honor and praise because you are worthy of it all. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Ashley. And thank you, Holy Spirit, for speaking through uh, your choice servant today. And it has been good. I want to share with you a word there that she shared. And wow, a lot of wonderful nuggets in that message today. I hope you took some notes, at least in, in your own heart. But this quote from Spurgeon really touched me greatly. And these two lines, three sentences right here. God thinks of every separate child of his as much as if he had only that one. That means he, he loves you as if you were the only one he's got. You're the one and only child. The multiplicity of his elect does not divide the loaf of his affection. <laughs> if you grew up in a home where there was a lot of kids, you, you might not get the big piece of cake. You might get the, the, the old chicken wing if you're the youngest. Somebody else got the bigger piece. But that doesn't work in God's economy. He's treating us all fairly and righteously. And He loves us all the same. He has an infinite affection for each one. And He will take care of the details of each chosen life. I hope you, you can bank on that today. I hope you've invested your faith in that kind of God. And he's watching out after you. He's observing every detail of your life. And then his timetable is perfect even if he takes us, Ashley, on the long journey. And he's taking me on some longer ones than I wanted. And I know you could say the same. Perhaps there's someone in the room here today, someone online. And this, is, this has hit you pretty hard. This has struck you in a, in a deep place. And you need to, you need to trust God. You, you've been awakened to the fact that you've been in anxious an anxious disposition toward God. You're finding, being tempted, as we even sang this morning, to find that maybe He's just not as faithful to you as you He promises. You need to you need to just get some prayer. You need to talk to somebody about it. I'd like to invite our altar ministry teams up right now. We have a prayer call line that we have open and have a trained person to speak with you. If you want to call in, it's 502-234-6151. We'd love to have you call that number and have someone pray with you today. If you're in the room here with us, we have uh, altar ministry folks that would pray in faith with you as well. I would like to ask as we close it, and I don't know if Daryl and Carol could maybe watch the kids just a bit and bring Ashley and, and uh, Justin up for us to just pray over you. And uh, if you, you're going to sing, you're going to lead us in some worship. If you'd like to come up and just pray a prayer with them, uh, they've got some big, big decisions and a journey to make here. But they've done it before and they know God's faithful. That's what they're telling us. And wow, I knew this kid when he was in the ninth grade. 
in my Bible class, and I said, oh, man, I don't know if he's ever going to mount anything. He never turned in his homework. But my goodness, Justin, God has done marvelous things in your life. And I'm so blessed to have watched it from a distance. It's been awesome. You've been a man of faith. God has done marvelous things in and through you. I esteem you, my brother. I esteem you highly. Mm, Love you. Ashley, thank you for your sharing today as well. It's been awesome. Let's stand together. We're going to sing. I'm just going to let you go when you get ready. God bless you. God bless your week. God bless your going and your coming. Go be the church. Don't be quiet. Step up. Speak up. Put a hand out. Touch somebody. Love them. Pray for them. Invest in them. Give them the Jesus you know. And that's what you're, you're all about. As we go and make more disciples, we share the kingdom of God. So let's lift up a voice in a worship. If you want to come and pray for these folks, come and do it right now. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm just going to let you stand right here in the center, and others can come.